Alto University Podcast. Richard, I'm Tommy Kauppinen, um, and today I have Lawrence Filler as my guest. How are you doing? Where are you now? Hi, great to be here. Um, I'm in my apartment in West Hollywood, and um, you can see my Francis Krieg on the wall behind me. <laughs> oh, wow! You have actual physical artwork by Francis and Krieg. Um, yeah, a, I have two months. the king of paradise, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's these. I had to have that. Had to have it. Um, I had to fight that's to great. also uh, get it wall space in the apartment uh, with Cynthia, but I won in the end. <laughs> Managed to get it on the wall. That's great. That's great. Hey, um, Lawrence, um, we know each other from. Uh, Social media, of course, and from all different kinds of virtual spaces, online spaces. Uh, can you uh, please share to listeners about yourself and your background? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, my name is Lawrence, and I'm an actor and a writer, and I've been in the art world for my whole life through my family, and. Um, You know, I I started out in British theatre, my professional career in the arts, and I uh, trained in the classics, and then um, got cast in some movies in LA, and decided to come out here and make films. And then, uh, you know, when lockdown happened, I was already I was writing a lot, and I I decided I'm just going to go full on into my writing and finished a screenplay about my late father who was an art critic that um, was well received on screenplay circuit won eight awards and so I dedicated myself to more writing original novella more poetry and poetry was something that I was very connected to for years before that I think just coming out of you know my love for performing classical texts in Shakespeare and um Uh, Marlo and Lupe de Vega uh, and others from my days in British theatre and it, it was just something I did um, I think just expecting okay one day when I'm uh, much older I'll, I'll publish a couple poetry books uh, never really thinking I would you know it would have a chance at much of a life beyond that because of the way the world is. Um, and I was so focused on my film work. Um, but then, you know, I heard the word NFT in a clubhouse room um, about a year and a bit ago and made me realize immediately that poetry and spoken word could have some real legs in this world and have a fighting chance. And uh, combine that with my uh, passion for fine art, you know, and for cinema, for making films and um, basically making a film out of a painting, 
um, and my desire, I think, since I was very young, to be able to see a painting come to life and animate. I think that was always part of my fascination with cinema, even though I, I, I came from a, a household of, you know, paintings all over the walls and my mother's sculptures lace strewn half made everywhere. And um, I fell in love with cinema, I think, because I wanted to see them moving. And so finally it was really a fulfillment of um, a lot of my passions coming together into a single practice, which was a wonderful thing. And I've just been delved headfirst into the the whole space of the NFT art world and loved creating in it, loved collaborating with so many people out here. And um, that's how we connected, because uh, you've also been out here. In, uh, Absolutely. Web three. Yeah, I was in also in Clubhouse. I think uh, one and one year and four months ago, something like that. Um, that's. A, I, I would like to ask you about uh, because you learned it in. You mentioned something very interesting. You learned it, learned about NFTs in in Clubhouse, and then you immediately connected it with your previous experiences and previous passions. So. Um, does it mean that um, that in learning crucial is to is to really connect all different bits and pieces together, and then the magic happens? Or how how would you? <laughs> is it is it something that one can learn? I mean, learn to learn, or is it just that you have to feel that okay, now this is what I want to do next. This is what I want to learn. What do you think? I think. Um... Probably everyone has their own journey with it. I was sort of making spoken word poetry videos with paintings, but just doing like Ken Burns shots over them um, before Web3. Um, but like I said, the production values of like the digitizing process and how they were animated was nowhere near as advanced as the the work that I that I do now. Um, and I think my poetry has come a long way as well. Um, so I've learned a great deal and developed a lot and grown a lot as an artist in the past year. But so, yeah, I think it probably did come from that initial concept of combining these things into a singular practice that I, I sort of was tampering with before, but... Um, didn't really have a huge place in this world before digital art um, really took the legs that it did. So, um, I think it has to be quite a personal discovery of what an artist's voice is and everybody comes to it in their own time. Absolutely, and all listeners, uh, please check uh, Lawrence's work. It's, they are stunning. <laughs> Uh, really outstanding piece and I and very unique. I mean, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a unique journey, but also the results are very unique. I've never seen anybody doing similar uh, artworks as you have done. And, and uh, of course, you have uh, now developed a new style and, and uh, collaborated so much, but uh, they are just uh, fantastic also in terms of storytelling. Hey, let's start. Um, I would like to also ask about storytelling. So... Um, 
how would you define a good story? <laughs> what are the main elements? And uh, perhaps if you have an example like a movie or artwork, something that has a, has an awesome story. Um, that's a great question. It's absolutely about storytelling. I think uh, it has to, you know, the every every piece that I do comes from the seed of wanting to tell a story and where can the story go? Um, and then everything goes from there. Um, and I think getting inspired by uh, a painting and writing a poem out of it um, or even, you know, working with 3D artists, they'll send me a bit of visuals first before I um, really get going with the poem. But often we will come up with the concept before we both get going um, it, it is a unique uh, mode because it can be more abstract, it can be more metaphorical, it doesn't have to tie together with a definite conclusion um, it can be more open ended um, so and it's actually a practice that is has roots in like Baudelaire, for instance, and Baudelaire would write poetry to paintings quite often. Um, he even just straight out references painters throughout, you know, Goya and Delacroix and uh, Rubens in, um, I think it's The Pillars, his poem The Pillars from Flowers of Evil. Um, and definitely something that my father would do as well. He took that up for himself, his own writing. He was an art critic, but he really deep down he wanted to be a poet. And I think that's because of the non-linear structure of storytelling that allows for a lot of freedom in the images that you can create and the sort of sens sensuous language that you can evoke and um, almost sort of reach unexplored places in, uh, in the human experience that I think the constraints of, say, a, a film narrative, which does have a lot more constraints, um, can maybe, uh, you know, sometimes film narratives can be um, limiting because they need to fulfill an audience's expectations. But when you have, you know, a one to two minute poetry video you can absolutely take risks with the sort of experiences you're trying to create. Um, which is great fun. You can, you know, I've sort of freed myself up as a writer immensely. Um, you know, coming from like the film world, even break on scripts as an actor, you really get a feel for like, okay, this is the structure of this scene, this is the the obstacle, the objective, this is the turning point in the scene. Um, they have to get to here. In order to get to here, they have to go through this. Um, and sort of being able to actually not throw a lot of that out the window, but just let it sort of relax a bit. Let it relax. And uh, just and being able to focus a lot more on the aesthetic qualities of the writing and of the visuals. Um, it's just a very different form of storytelling. 
And I, I do try to tie a lot of the pieces together throughout. So it's so we're just going on a journey, quite like, uh, but quite like an artist does throughout their career. You know, like you look at artists like Anselm Kiefer or something. You know, he has this wonderful spiritual abstract narrative that has just uh, been with him since his early days as an artist and is still there today. In you know, as in his seventies, um, but you can follow that story all the way through. Um, so that's sort of what what also I'm inspired by is is looking at even more than you know the great films is probably how great painters and sculptors and great artists have sort of uh, let their own their own voice guide their careers and from start to finish mm. sort of allow things to unfold organically. Mm. So you mentioned, um, it's super interesting, you mentioned that um, with this story you can also, with the art, uh, you can go to unexplored places and, and you can take also risks and perhaps this is the kind of the, the difference be between uh, movies as then um, art but what do you think um, is it like um, is it like what um, what makes uh, people to connect to a story what do you think like wh why why some artworks and day stories um, connect to more people I mean the, or many more people connect to them what is What do you think is the secret? Is it like um, is there are some twists that people can relate to or they can experience those in their own life or some familiar cues for about places or what, what do you think? Or is there any <laughs> answer? Yeah, I think uh, absolutely they, you know, in the film world, they definitely try to distill that into sort of... Um, methods of going about things and you can study all, all the books on storytelling in the world I think and um, it's helpful you know but these things they can only really serve as a sort of bedrock for you to then stand on your own two feet and tell a story um, uh, you can't also you can't really You have to tell your own story. I think that's that's an important thing as well because it you know people can read so many subtleties in obviously human behavior. There's so much subtext to every interaction, and then it, I think that also translates to every creation because creation is a form of communicating as well. Um, people can just feel authenticity, you know. Uh, especially over time you know, the more that they that you come back to a work or a body of work the more you the more you read from it and the more you understand what the artist was saying and what they were trying to say and were they successful in what they were saying so i think being super authentic is probably just the best way to go and not even trying to reach a secret, but allowing the secret to sort of come out of you. Um, 
I mean, you can do things like listen to music and, you know, uh, put yourself in, in, in a good headspace. I mean, that's all helpful. I drink a lot of coffee. I would say that's a <laughs> very important. Same here. Yeah, that's a really important secret to a good story. Uh, uh, probably two venti Starbucks every day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think whenever I get stuck, for instance, I, I really try to think of the, the images within the setting of, of the poem. Because um, quite often my poems do have a setting and they are taking the reader through, you know, a moment in time that will have mm. metaphors scattered within it, but uh, experiential. Um, you know, I think you can sit with my poem and, and close your eyes and hopefully it will, it will take you to, you know, the scene that I, that I saw when I was writing it and the visuals will obviously help as well. That's, that's a big part of it. Um, so, and, and quite often, you know, the, the scene that I'm painting in my mind is inspired by the visuals that's being sent me by the painters or, or the 3D artists as well. And I, I sort of look for things within the painting to, to grab out and take hold of and use as a metaphor. Or, um, so yeah, I think it's, if you can uh, take, take your time with your own experience and, and sort of trust and savor your own experience of things, you know, the, you know, the, the look of things, the feel of things, the senses, um, because poetry is really a sensual, a sensual thing, a sensual form of storytelling, then um, that's a good clue. That's a good clue, probably. Mm. I, I absolutely love it, because when you said that uh, people can close their eyes and uh, listen to the poem, um, but uh, can you also, or have you recorded them also uh, eyes closed? Or... <laughs> Because I, I, I actually, I did uh, an experiment where I made uh, like a few minute uh, podcast for my teaching actually about visualizations. And I intentionally closed my eyes when recording them because I thought that perhaps that will help also others to connect to it. I don't know, it was just an intuition. And uh, students have given a lot of nice feedback. And I think that, that has been one of my best ever media uh, production experience you know very simple things few keywords visual words and then just eyes closed and then all right let's record <laughs> what do you think have you done it no i've never done it um but it's a really interesting idea usually because like i need to uh uh sometimes i i, I don't always memorize the poem so sometimes i'm i'm reading the words so which is kind of as good as having my eyes closed because, yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely imagining the, mm -hmm. the story and the poem and putting myself there emotionally when I read. Mm -hmm. But I haven't actually tried, okay, I'm, I'm literally going to do this with my eye closed. Yeah, I haven't tried that. I, I should try it. 
I'll let you know if great, I, when great. I try it next time. Yeah, please. I, I will. Yeah, I, I absolutely will. Uh, looking forward to hear it. And I'll, I'll also, um, I should also try it out with uh, poetry. By the way, I, I studied uh, one of my study fields for film theory. And, uh, and you mentioned something very interesting also. You said that everything that you have studied, it's just a bedrock and you have to build on it. So absolutely agree with it because I mean, it's only so far you can go with that bedrock. It's like, you know, it's, it's methods and you know that, okay, well, this is how that character moves in this scene and this is how it should look like in the next scene in, 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 in uh, famous movies or what Eisenstein and whatever. I mean, other uh, theorists are saying, but uh, then uh, you cannot, you cannot copy. I mean, you cannot, you know, it's, you have to develop your own story. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah. Like uh, I listened to um, readings of poetry by Blake and things like that, like every day. Um, but never when I'm writing. It'll just be like when I'm going for a walk or something, mm. you know? And maybe if it influences me subconsciously, then okay. But, yeah, I'll never sit down and try and copy a Blake. Um, mm. and, I, and I do listen to, like, a, a very good mix as well of different poems, you know? Mm. So from, of course, Blake to Shelley to Byron... Um, to um, Coleridge, to Yeats, uh, you know, all the poets from the Romantic Age, but also um, things like The Green Knight, uh, not The Green Knight, sorry, Gilgamesh. Um, yeah, things like, like Gilgamesh I'll, I'll chuck on, which is an amazing ancient Welsh poem and completely different structure of, of poetry as well. Um, and I've, I haven't actually attempted the, that form of writing that Gilgamesh is in, which is, um, oh, sorry, I'm thinking of Sir Gawain. Yeah, Sir Ga Gawain. Let me get the exact time. I'm mixing up a couple things here. Yeah, Sir Gawain. And the Green Knight, yeah, because there was this movie out, The Green Knight. So I'm mixing that up in my head. So it's going in the Green Knight. Okay, there we go. From 14th century, yeah, it's Middle Ages. So the, the alliteration of of Gawain is um, quite astounding. Like, especially there's like a hunting scene in it. And it's it's all alliteration, so it's like, you know, every the the start the first letter of every word in a sentence is the same. So it's like every word starts with a P. Um, and there's really nothing else like it. So yeah, let me just find while we're talking. Let me just find. Uh, I'll, I'll, um, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing how um, stories from other centuries inspire us. And uh, now this is perhaps uh, for the listeners um, super good, uh, 
good advice. So if you want to tell a story, be it um, you know like a poem or or a short video or for your teaching, because teaching is also in many ways story, then get the bedrock. <laughs> so study storytelling, but then also get a lot of inspirations. Good stories, poems, watch good movies, read books. By the way, also bad books, perhaps bad movies can also be good because then you know what you at least don't want to do, right? Oh, but that's too easy nowadays, Sumner. You know, I think it's like to... Uh, I think it's a challenge to just like discipline yourself to watch good stuff because there's so much, there's so much not that good stuff that's thrown in your face all the time, right? But then, yeah, yeah. that's also the benefit yeah. of streaming is and on demand is like you can be very selective about what you choose and put on your watch list and mm. um, absolutely, absolutely. But then there is social media and. Uh, we don't even have to <laughs> mention all the platforms oh, yeah. that they are out there. Yeah. Exactly. But a lot of a lot of AI recommender systems uh, throwing up a lot of content that we don't really benefit from. So here's just I'll just read two lines. Here's a great example of what I was talking about in Gawain. So I charge yeah. thee to choose the road to the green chapel to fetch such a dent as thou dealt and deserve. You see, so like in the first sentence, there's charge thee to choose the road to the green chapel, to fetch, the, all the ch sounds. And then in the second sentence, the dent thou dealt and deserve. It's just astounding bit of writing that, and then here, this, this sentence here, so that fire as from flint flew from those fast hooves. That was it hard to say even, but. So, I mean, you think of poetry now, I think mostly it's the ending of the sentence. Uh, it, it rhymes, right? Rhyming couplets. Yes. Um, and alliteration is, is something that's like, I, I mean, I can think of maybe Poe. Poe did a bit of alliteration here and there, but mm -hmm. still mostly he was very structured as well. I mean, yeah. I was reading The Raven the other day and I thought the amount of time he must have really like stressed over every word of this poem. This was not a freehand. This was not like he did not bang this out in an afternoon. This took him months of deliberating over like every word in, in the structure of this poem. It's so uh, it's so well sort of crafted and thought out. Um, and you know, I have I have some poems like that, but a lot of my poems, thankfully, are a bit more freehand than than that. So I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself into trying alliteration as I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. No, that was. Uh, what, what can you share to listeners? Also, um, again, uh, who was the writer of that poem? So Gawain's anonymous. It, uh, yeah, there you go, anonymous. Okay, wow. Because that's um, no rhymes or anything, but but as you um, as you were 
interpreting it, uh, it was so much rhythm. So it was like, and all those words like fire and, and it's like immediately bring very visual images. Yeah, this is, and it's a, it's a huge poem. I don't know how many pages, but it's as thick as a book. Um, yeah, so, and this guy gets no credit, whoever wrote it. We don't even know. Like it could have been a group of people maybe, but uh, it could have just been one person. And he's, yeah. he has no, no credit. He didn't have the blockchain to authenticate his <laughs> uh, authorship. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps it's like uh, one generation adds something to it and next one as well. It's like this kind of national uh, collection of, you know, stories. Can you share the link also? I'll add it to the description of the episode then. Yeah, just like the Wikipedia, you mean? something? Ah, oh, it's in the Wikipedia, okay. Cool. Because there's a, there's a ton of, um, like, reproductions of it. Even, oh, I didn't know J.R. Tolkien did an adaptation. But there's a ton of, like, public domain publications of it. It's classic. But yeah, I'll, I can show like the Wikipedia or something. Yeah. But but anyway, like you know, I, I mean, something like that is just great to aspire to. Even though, if you're a poet, you may never, you may never accomplish the same, you know, literary accomplishment as Sir Gawain in the Green Knight. But you can try. Yeah. It's a good idea to try. Try. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Baudelaire and Dante. I mean, there is like so many good examples of poets as well. So um, of uh, authors who are very famous exactly about the poetry or, or partly or fully. They last for decades, centuries. And uh, who knows? I mean, <laughs> uh, hey, why, I wanted to ask you because I just came to my mind that if um, if you think about History, poetry was so much, um, um, I mean, of course, uh, orally uh, interpreted and presented. And uh, then then came the era of uh, written poetry, so poetry books. And now are we going back to kind of <laughs> oral or visual and oral uh, poetry and storytelling? Or have we already, I mean, we have already started with all the... I mean, your work, of course, but then also, uh, is, is this a trend or are we going, how far can we go from the books now or should we go back to books as well? <laughs> or what do you think about this? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know a good answer because obviously my work is all, you know, you can only really experience it by listening and watching. Um, my my work, people don't read it like because I don't. Uh, that's not how I publish it. Um, and it's I think it's unique as fine art in that way. Maybe one day I'll publish a book of poetry. I don't know. I maybe not. You should do it absolutely. I'll <laughs> I'll queue for it. You think so? I mean, yeah. No, I I absolutely. I mean, I. Um, how about if it's like different, different um, 
versions of the same story. I mean, I have a lot of poetry in my bookshelf and uh, my, for example, my neighbor moved away and I said that, hey, he has so many books that he has never read. And I went there and it was a treasury. I mean, it's like, you know, tens of poetry books that he had never opened. Classics and, and uh, I mean, of course I took them. <laughs> no question about it. But I, I, I really enjoy them. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I think there's something... I mean the way the way that I'm that I'm doing it there is something that m- makes it very unique that it's only really available spoken word you can only really experience it by pressing play mm-hmm. um there is something very unique about that mm-hmm. but maybe at the end of it all after we've done all this uh scrappy creating and um maybe once there's a retrospective of you know the poems that I've created over time it would be good to have them in writing there's something very much in the moment about you know uh having them as an experience an audiovisual experience that's very of the now but maybe there's a time for uh telling a piece of history in retrospect as well mm. that time hasn't come yet for me though yeah <laughs> absolutely but we can we can wait hey you mentioned about the audiovisual experiences and um and um you know you are you are uh, a multi-talented so you are well-known author now actor artist and art collector and you have acted in many movies and series so so you were as david hockney um in the Minx show on HBO Max. So I want to ask you like what does it take to um how do you how do you even even start to learn to be another person in a movie? What does how does that feel and uh, what does it require? How do you how do you become another person? I'm David Hockney so unique. <laughs> Yeah. Artist. How I mean how how do you how did you do it? How does it feel? Um it 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 takes a lot of just uh practicing and uh and just sort of living in that skin and um you know, he, David Hockney has a very unique voice. He's he's from Yorkshire, but he's he doesn't have like a very strong Yorkshire accent. The Yorkshire accent itself is extremely strong, but his version of it is somewhere between London and Yorkshire. It's a bit lighter, it's a bit more accessible. So really, I just had to use him as an example, not the general Yorkshire accent. So I listened to a lot of his interviews. Fortunately, there's a ton of David Hockney interviews, and they're all great to listen to. He's full of insights. Um, so I, I was sort of listening to that as I was like walking around, getting coffee, working out, and just repeat the words as he was saying them. And if you do that all day, um, after some days, you start to sound like you can sort of click into it. Um, But I have a quite, you know, and I was on set with Ophelia Lovibond, who's the lead actress in Minx. She's British. 
in which you cannot tell at all. She's got a perfect American accent, but and she would just click in and out of it in between takes. And perhaps I'm um, not. Perhaps perhaps the reason is that I'm I'm not as talented as she is because I just need to stay in it the whole time. So. Um, and you know, so my actors would ask me about that on set, like, "Oh, you don't sound so you like in character or whatever." And a bit of no, it's just that I need to keep it up so that I don't slip when they say action. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just easier for me, I suppose, to keep it up the whole time. So, being another person, I think, is a skill that you learn. Like um, playing a sport or something. Even if you're not very good at tennis, if you play it, if you play tennis all day for like some weeks, by the end of those weeks, you'll actually you'll you'll be all right at it. You'll be pretty good. Um, even if you're not that sporty, even like you'll get the hang of it. So it, yeah, it's really a, honestly, it's about just getting the hang of. Uh, whatever the behavior is. Um, I think approaching the script probably has the most amount of skill that is translatable from script to script. Whereas, like, being David Hockney is not particularly translatable. I can't carry Hockney with me into another character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't, like, it's just the other, you know, whatever I book next is not going to be Hockney-esque. Most likely, because he's, you know, there's so many unique things about David Hockney that just, anyway. But but what I can take with me from role to role is is approaching a script, which <clears throat> I found like the more the more I go on the acting trade, the more I found that like approaching a script is exactly the same as approaching a script as a writer. You have to imagine every detail of you know, the scene as it comes off the page. Um, and as a writer, that's sort of what I, especially with the redrafts and when you read through your own writing, you really have to imagine and discipline yourself to think of every detail. Um, um, and I think that is slightly different to being a reader. When, when you're a reader, you can kind of... Uh, be more leisurely and sort of think what you want about the writing, but I think when you're when you're actually writing it, you have to. Um, there's another level of intensity that connects you to the words, and it's the same with acting. It's the same. It's exactly the same. So I would say I, I would approach acting and and a character and a, and a script for another person the same as I would approach the blank page. You start from something and then you, then you essentially build it bit by bit. I really liked um, what you said that uh, you have been listening to, like uh, like all the interviews and just getting all the details. Comes to my mind that uh, our Swedish language teachers uh, um, asked me or hired me to perform in the Swedish language videos, and <laughs> actually, how did we do it? I wrote this script. Um, in English, they translated it to Swedish. Then they spoke it in Swedish, and I then I listened to it all day long. I mean, just repeat it, you know, like 
like taking a run or walking and I just I just started to feel it and when I performed it at the front of the camera I knew everything I, I you know I just I, I don't say that it's perfect but <laughs> it's not comparable to you being a David Hockney mix but uh, but uh, I I've got a uh, good feedback about it and uh, apparently learn from the videos and I'm, I'm speaking Swedish there and I Swedish is not my mother language of course I have learned it but but it's not something that way I'm, I'm fluent in yeah I I found actually when I was when I was in school you know I I'd always wanted to be an actor so I was doing school plays and doing Shakespeare early Shakespeare productions when I was like uh, about 13 I was Caliban in The Tempest. And I was also studying Latin as one of my subjects. And I, I sort of found that actually I was learning the Shakespearean text exactly the same way as I was learning Latin as a language. Um, and I think that actually has a lot to do with how our memories work. Um, by, and our memories work by association. So if you if you repeat a text over and over again, yeah, that is one way that your memory learns. But your memory learns actually a lot quicker by cognitive association. So if you associate a sentence with an, an, an image, an idea, and then the next sentence with an idea that links the, the two things together, you, you remember it like that. Um, and I actually learned that from a, uh, a mentalist, you know, Darren Brown. He's quite famous now. I love Darren Brown. It's, uh, he's amazing. I'm a big fan. Yes. Yeah, he, he wrote a book and I, uh, he's got the linking method in it. And I was like, that's perfect for acting. And it works brilliantly. I can memorize like, it's kind of boring to go through, so we can't do it here. But like a hundred words, if you were to just like read them out, I could memorize them back to front using what like something that he has in his book. Um, I found that helpful for acting too. Yeah. Yeah. What is uh, what was the Darren's book uh, book that you read? Uh, gosh. Yes, I mean he has uh, tons of uh, YouTube videos. Of course, I have checked many of them. Yeah. Just fantastic, but um, you can absolutely look up Darren Brown linking method memory, and it will pop up. Okay, I will check. Um, this is I absolutely love it. I I have um, I've been testing also similarly like um, like I ride my bike a lot, so also to work and back and uh, and um, I've tried to associate like in every corner some let's say, a new word in Spanish or French, and which is that I, I need to keep up uh, learning. And uh, it really works. So I, when I come there again next day, I remember that word. And I've been doing also the same with uh, some podcasts where, that I want to learn. So I, I listen to the podcast over and over again in the same route. And then one day I don't have to have the podcast anymore. I remember everything. So, what do you think? Is this the same method or is it like a variation of Oh, what, if you listen to it again and again? Oh, wait. No, if you listen to it in the same place. Same place, same, same journey. Like, yeah. uh, let's say, half an hour 
journey from your home to work every day for several days and then suddenly you don't listen to it but you just write yeah. I somehow I just remember it yeah absolutely crazy yeah because that I mean that's subconsciously kind of working by association isn't it because while you drive past that signpost and you remember it uh, that's super interesting um I guess it's like hijacking that that sort of inbuilt cognitive association uh, to your own, you know, devious ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then it's it's yours. It's your <laughs> asset, essentially. You have learned it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean... Look, the, the repeating thing, it it's quite often leads to bad acting. If you repeat a text again and again until you, like, remember it, and that's how everyone starts. That's how everybody begins their acting process. It's just like, okay, get get a text and just, like, like read over it again and again, like, 200 times, and then eventually you'll remember. And then you'll, when you come to saying it, you say it the same way that you've said it 200 times, probably having lost all meaning because you're remembering your remembering of it you know and the sort of the initial feeling that you may have even had the connection to the writing has just become a facsimile of a facsimile of a facsimile mm. so really I found trying to get uh, you know that, that method of memorizing something as deep as possible actually eliminates the need to, to repeat something. Mm. Um, but uh, how does it, how does the, uh, if you uh, give like just a quick overview how Darren's um, method works, so is it like uh, you have the text and uh, do you associate an image for each and every word or for sentences or how does it? Yeah, well the linking method is, well, that was something that he took from Greek uh, orators. Um, So it's been around for centuries, but he has translated it well in the present. And the linking method goes, say, if you have 10 words, say, if you have banana, mouse, eagle, just random three words. So imagine a banana, simple enough, and a banana mouse. So like a mouse, like crawling out of the banana, because you have the, the two things have to be dynamically associated next to each other. And then you go mouse eagle. So then eagle comes out and swoops, picks up the mouse in its claws, flies off with it. And then if the next word is uh, elephant, it has to be eagle elephant. So the eagle lands on an elephant's back and off they go. A bunch of animals. <laughs> so... Wow. So now you can easily remember, right? Banana mouse, eagle, elephant, like no problem. Yeah. And and it's it's in there. It's in there much deeper than having just gone banana mouse, eagle, elephant, banana mouse, eagle, elephant, banana mouse, eagle, elephant. You know, just trying to remember like the cold hard words. That's amazing. Um, so so you basically link only just two words each time. And then it's a chain. Yeah, it's a chain, like a blockchain. And they have yeah, to like be... Yeah, like a blockchain. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly like a blockchain. That is like 
actually the secret to acting is exactly like a blockchain. And I'm not even trying to shill blockchain technology, but it's, it's seriously true. Like that cognitive association between one thing, the next, and then the next, yeah. and the next. And that, that is really the secret to good acting. Um, if you start like that and really discipline yourself to practice, you know, starting that way, when you come to saying it, it's you, you can, it's there. Like you say, you own it. Yeah. Right. And you can do whatever with it. Because if you've gone, if you've gone banana mouth eagle elephant, you, you have to go banana mouth eagle elephant when you get to the action. Like you yeah, have yeah. to say it the same way. Otherwise you'll forget. Like when you're right, you know. Um, but if you just know that it's banana mouse, eagle, elephant, you can do, you can go anywhere with it. You go banana, mouse, eagle, elephant, banana, mouse, eagle, elephant. (laughs) You know, I can remember it because I'm remembering it and not because I've said it that way before. Yeah. Yeah, and and you mentioned something very important. So you, it's not a facsimile. It's not a copy of of the of the previously repeated thing. But you have the feeling there. You have the you store the feeling also to the chain, to the blockchain, if you like. And, yeah, and, I, yeah. Well, no, the, actually, actually, no, that's impossible. The feeling only exists right now. The blockchain is somewhat cerebral, but it's feeding you symbols that mm. you then can then react to in the present. I love that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So feeling will be an and will be unique to the moment. It's 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 you can. You can give some um, like triggers to the feeling, right? But it's still a new feeling or new emotion. Yeah, as part yeah. of this story. Big yeah, because yeah, you don't you don't need the same feeling. You don't like and and feeling it doesn't really get like stored away in such a literal way as we would like. It. If feeling is such a sensual thing and such a complex, visceral thing. Mm. That it- my friend was doing a PhD about feelings and emotions, moods, and uh, I had a discussion with him, and uh, he said that well, feelings they change all the time. It's like you know, it, it goes it goes around, and it's uh, it's very hard to capture like what is the long longer term feeling of a person, and and I learned a lot uh, from just that just uh, that discussion um, how do you think uh, we, we mentioned <laughs> you mentioned about and we mentioned about blockchains and M- NFTs but uh, and uh, of course you mentioned like how, how has it um, changed your personal um, way of, uh, of and, and giving opportunities to, uh, to express and share your art but how do you think um, how have they enabled or Change the art world in a larger sense. Or so what do you think? What what has been the key? Um, I I think it definitely has changed the art world, <laughs> uh, or is changing it right now. 
Um, yeah. Because, like, the players that are here, like, we still know who they are. But then the players coming in are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, today, Jim Carrey just bought an NFT on Super Air. Um, I'm collaborating with Val Kilmer and Vincent D'Onofrio and um, Whoa. Sarah Ferguson, the Duke of York. Uh, I'm collaborating, Duchess of York, sorry. Um, uh, I can say that now because it's been made official and we're announcing it very soon. So it's crazy. But, you know, uh, they, they need the people who've been here this past year. That's also something I've learned. They do need us right now anyway. The world is, this world that, we're, that we're, we've been in, that we've been building, is not as accessible to them. Uh, and they know this, as it is to us. Because if you can remember, you've put in a year's work, like building up, networking, like understanding what's going on probably every day. Um, and they just haven't. So they're coming at it like, what is all this? And the players are completely different now, too, the, to, to the world that they operate in. Um, but that'll, that'll all start to evolve as well. As more of them come in, they'll know each other. And, um, but it's a unique moment in time that we're at where the early adopters are meeting the, you know, the big players from IRL. Um, and uh, let's see how it all comes together. I mean, I think I, I'm optimistic. Um, I think the you know the biggest um, change that's happened for the art world, I would say, has been the renewed interest and you know a lot of interest in digital art, which before was. Not, not really as interesting to the art world. Mm. I mean, there, there were some people doing some stuff, but let's be honest, like it just wasn't, it was a niche category that was, you know, far less, had far less um, interest from collectors and the market and galleries and museums than any of the other mediums. And now digital art has completely come to the forefront and is number one in terms of the volume in the contemporary art world by a long way. Um, which is sort of a fascinating and sudden development. Um, obviously, the speed of, of which the space moves is completely different to the old world, which takes decades to get anything done. <laughs> um, or, you know, you talk about doing an exhibition and two years later it happens. And out here it's two months. Um, so, and working with people happens as quickly as you can make the thing. And there it is. And then you, you get together your communities, which you've been engaged with every day for m months and years beforehand. Or, or one year, and um, 
you know, you, you all gather and and it, it it works if you've set it up right. So I mean I mean, yeah. Now I think you know, we went through a lot of period of just being able to just sort of drop and then move on and drop and move on and kind of things were getting bought so fast and you know, I think the the artists who sort of made a sprint to the the top of the pack and all that are still able to do that. But at the same time, I think there's a lot more interest, um, even from the artists who can get away with just dropping and, and moving on to the next thing, to create a, a cultural, you know, moment with a piece, which would be adopting more of the existing sort of old world way of doing things. Um, you know, having writing, having, a, having an online exhibition, having discussions about what the work is. Um, even spaces that I'm organizing one right now to be regular about just art. Like, not about the market and this and that, but about art. So because what we're creating is culture. And culture happens through discussion. And yeah, it happens in writing, it happens people recording and, and understanding what, what the dynamics are and what the piece is itself and how, how that all fits together. Um, you know, quite often that's like a journalist's job to do. Um, but they, journalists are also taking from moments like this podcast. There'll be journalists that listen to this podcast. This podcast itself is an article of um, mm. cultural interest. And having discussions like these, we're, we're forming a legitimate culture that has legs and that's going to continue. Um, so, and that's just a people thing. That's not even a technology thing, you know? Mm. Um, but obviously the way that we're all connected with Web3 and NFTs and um, I think we're all a lot more motivated to get a lot more done. So I'm, I'm really interested to see just how much productivity comes out of this group that's, uh, that's been out here, that's been making things and uh, that's been attracting a lot of interest, of course, from mainstream media. But... Um, yeah, what's going to come out of the people who, who are who are here and making and and a part of the ecosystem as well? Absolutely, great thoughts. Um, absolutely agree with you. Um, just um, started to think about the the uh, role of art. Like um, like I mean now now with uh, NFTs and blockchain, we can experience art from basically all different parts of the world. I mean, obviously some from some countries and cultures less than from others, but are still um, in theory and in many ways in practice, kind of exposing us to many new ideas and insight and cultures and uh, basically thinking. <laughs> so we can learn a lot, but um, what do you think, um, uh, what can, art give us what 
what can we learn through art? Or is it about learning? Or is it about understanding something even beyond learning? I don't know. What, 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 is, what do you think? What do, you, what do we... Why people uh, enjoy art? And what, what, what does art give us? What do you think? Um, well, of course, I mean, for me, I mean, you're a man of learning, so you're going to be thinking about learning. And this conversation's been really interesting uh, in depth <laughs> that I, nev- I never go to these sorts of details about the, my creative process. So, um, but I think, you know, uh, mostly artists and, and, and people, for lack of a better word, building, are um, interested in what can be done. So, and of course, learning happens along the way. But I think people, the people who are really genuine about the potential for all this stuff are thinking, how can we accomplish something that would otherwise be extremely difficult or just is really difficult, but that all this technology enables actually for us to, to get done? You know, what we can really think, you know, in ways that would otherwise be pretty pie in the sky in in regular life um about uh, like <laughs> i'm working on a collection now with Heinrich Dahlen that is a project that has metaverse components to it that has uh storytelling components to it that are integrated with the blockchain that's like has a ton of different components I mean, first of all, just working with Heinrich or Dahlen would have been completely pie in the sky for me uh, a year and a bit ago. <laughs> um, because he's one of the most famous painters in the world. And, uh, you know, I past just would not, not have crossed, even though I knew who he was. Um, I don't think he knew who I was, but that's fine. Um But now we're very close friends, and we speak every day. And uh, you know, this underground art world has brought us together. But now, and now we're working on something that definitely has the potential to be more mainstream. And uh, especially with those components and it being experiential, um, it, it, it's almost a challenge. <laughs> You know, with with films and things like that, it's the challenge is how can we take a filmmaker's lofty ideas or like my lofty ideas when I wanted to sit down and write a script about something and actually make them realistic. Um, I, and it's almost like the challenge out here is like how big can you really think? You know, because the limits are your imagination. Absolutely. Um, hey, um, I want to ask you um, about um, again a deep question about about life or um, but life is a story essentially. So, can you share listeners some turning point in your life or studies or anything that happened that made you think differently about about life, about working life? Um, sure. Yeah, I think when I was uh when I was eighteen, nineteen and I was kind of on a gap year between high school and drama school, 
because um, I'd gotten into drama school, but it didn't start for another six months. So I went to Africa, and I I traveled around Kenya and Uganda, uh, and I got to bungee jump into the Nile, which was incredible experience, and uh, white water raft down the Nile, and, and meeting the people out there. <laughs> I mean, when we went to... Uh, we went on part of our trip to the Congo to meet the mountain gorillas. Um, and there's only, I think, 600 of them left. And we had to go. And the Congo is quite a difficult place to venture. So we had our guards with us. We stopped off at a, a pygmy town on the way um, into the jungle. And they cooked and danced for us. And we left them. Um, some compensation and as we headed into the jungle and we sat with the mountain gorillas it was like a family of them uh, we were lucky that our, gu our guide found them quite quickly and uh, I guess I, I was really taken by uh, just sort of how calm the whole situation actually was you know it sounds like quite an intense situation armed guards in the Congo with mount gorillas. Then when we got there, our guide, you know, he was speaking to the mountain gorillas in this in this way. He told us that he was going to do it, that he would kind of grumble. He would go, oh, oh, like that, <laughs> and to keep them calm. And just the silverback, the way he was sat there, he was so calm, and he had all his family around. And um, the guide was... You know, he just sort of let us hang out with them for a bit. Um, at one point, the baby touched my hand and he kind of got up on all fours. And then I think that was about time for us to leave. But I think, you know, that whole experience, sort of uh, just traveling and seeing the world gave me a great appreciation for... Uh, what, what a gift and what an adventure life can be. And, um, you know, to not afraid to be bold. Wow, that was a great uh, turning point story. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Uh, what do you think, um, let's say if you go to the future, um, 20, 42, 20 years from now, uh, what do you think, What how the world will look like? Art, movie, storytelling, or do we have robots? serving us or are we already living in Mars or uh, will it be just like today like nothing changed or will it be completely different or is it even possible to predict oh what the future you want me to speculate what the future will look like yeah yeah like I don't know <laughs> 20 years from now did you ever speculate that we'd be uh, doing what we're doing here today even a, a year and a half ago or two years uh, ago no no absolutely <laughs> no no, absolutely not. I know it's 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 very hard, but it's just like um, you know, it's it's like you know, design fiction. I'm doing it. I'm using it uh, with my with my students a lot, and it's like, let's say we have a new situation. We go to the future, and then we have certain things set up, but then we have a lot of freedom. Like, what 
what is this story happening then or likable a predict i mean can be kind of world you know i will say something about that in in 2018 i held one of the first art exhibitions to accept ethereum for the art um but it was not nfts at all uh it was just a pop-up exhibition that I was doing with some painters and I was just interested in crypto. Um, and it went, you know, pretty pretty under the radar. And I and I hadn't heard that about NFTs for another like two and a half years after that. But it, the clues were right there in front of me. It was like ridiculous. So I think like the clues for what will be the thing in the future or what will be the play in the future are probably staring us right in the face right now. We don't even know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I, I've been also uh, very close to established a few blockchain companies in the past and uh, the teams were not the right ones. Uh, perhaps they are listening to me. <laughs> They're very nice people, but you know, it, it, you need the right team and right like mindset. But uh, but I I absolutely didn't make any connection also myself to art or storing art. So it's yeah. So perhaps it's um, I mean, what do we have now? We have metaverse. We have uh, a lot of AI around us. Visual com audio yeah let's see <laughs> let's see it's something like this but uh but a uh, very different perhaps even two years from now yeah two years from now it'll be so obvious we'll think back to this conversation it'll be like i had it open on my computer <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and then it's like oh not interesting but then in in two years we have like some ai generated hologram you know telling us you know what to how to how to link and uh, who knows um, hey what did you, what did you learn last time and where did it happen online or social media or how, what, what did you learn what, what was the last thing i learned yeah you mean just generally anything anything <laughs> anything that comes first to your mind um i think it was oh wow Th- yeah this this was pretty crazy so working with Val Kilmer um and connecting with, you know, his his people who are helping him do his art projects. Um, you know, the release of Top Gun just came out. Yeah, yeah, yes. And so I got in my Google alerts, you know, I'm pretty sure most artists have their Google alerts with their name, so if anything pops up, like, it comes up in an email, right? So I looked and my name had popped up in Val Kilmer, article um and it was talking about top gun and how he lost his voice and and then uh in the article further down uh they'd sourced some tweets and one of them was mine and they had no you know they had no idea i was working with him or anything and it it was about the documentary about val and it and it said uh and i'd written um, watching Val has given me a new found appreciation for my voice as an actor. And now I'm giving Val's poetry voice 
uh, because he can't speak it anymore. Um, yeah. So I think I learned doubly today how grateful I am to have a voice. Whoa, that's a beautiful learning. Congratulations. I look forward to hearing poetry by Walt Kilmer. It's amazing. Hey, this has been, Lawrence, a great, great, great discussion. Um, um, I would like to, and let's, let's, by the way, have another episode anytime with you. I, this has been, sorry for the deep questions, but... <laughs> I love it. I just wanted to ask any, everything that I asked. Thank you for the great questions. Really appreciated it. Yeah. Hey, final, final question. And um, this is like, um, because my podcast is uh, Cloud Reachers, meaning um, like, well, reaching out clouds, dreams, online as well, or <laughs> anything. I, uh, it's called Cloud Reachers because when I was a child, I was uh, lot with, with my grandparents' house and I just, you know, in this wing and uh, just looking at the clouds and dreaming about being author or film director or uh, researcher, scientist, anything uh, like this. So, um, so this is why it's called Cloud Reaches. And, um, and I would like to ask you, like, um, who in your mind is a Cloud Reacher, kind of a person or organization, anything that is bringing new ideas forward or reaching out clouds, dreaming of something better? Uh, for me, uh, Cloud Reach, uh, uh, a person who is a Cloud Reacher, uh, I think is uh, Miss Anne Harriman, uh, who is man I've connected with in Web3, but uh, hugely admire for all that he's done in, you know, IRL as well. He's chairman of the South Bank Center. He's becoming a film director. He's accomplished photographer. And watching him, the way that he's come into the NFT art world with so much passion and so much enthusiasm and just love and positivity um, for, you know, the act of creation and, you know, having, having the heart and the, and the sort of empathy to really take in another person's work of art and and see it shine and, and let it shine um, I think is hugely admirable so yeah I think he's a cloud reacher uh, for his uh, empath empath abilities it's uh, admirable for sure absolutely agree he's doing so great I mean now now of course uh, working for Tesos Foundation and he has so good taste <laughs> what he has been acquiring now. It's amazing. Very true. Hey, thank you, Lawrence, so much for this uh, this session, uh, podcast recording. And uh, this was fantastic. Hopefully we see in real life someday soon. Welcome to Europe, Finland, anytime. I would love that. You, me and Jenny, we have to go get coffee. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, I... I love coffee. I have every all the discussions, interviews of you know new projects. And now today also I have a new student, so I have a. Of course, I will have coffees in the afternoon. It's <laughs> coffee is my thing. Let's. Uh, I'll 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 show you my espresso machine at home uh, when I'm back there. Let's have another two. I have to show it. It's. I love it. 
bought it when when COVID started. A precious item, your most precious item, I bet. If the house was burning down, got to save the espresso maker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. That's like it was like a boring Tuesday when just twenty twenty November. Like a boring Tuesday, and uh, then I was like, okay, well, enough is enough, and I just ordered from Italy, like the espresso machine I had been dreaming about, but I always thought that it's just too expensive. Then I was like, hey, come on, I mean, uh, one year of coffees, I can totally, in cafeterias, I can totally purchase it, and and I'm so happy. Um, Good to hear, very good to hear. Yeah. Hey, um, thanks, Lawrence, and um, and, I'm looking forward to the next uh, episode. Um, so, uh, thanks for listening. This was Cloud Reachers. I'm Tommy Kalpinen. See you next time. Ciao. Ciao.